Welcome, everybody, to Who's Your Band? I'm your host, Jeffrey Paul. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Sean Morton. How are you, Sean? I'm, I'm feeling fantastic, Jeffrey. I feel like the weight of the world has lifted off my head. That's because you took all your hair off your head. I did. I did it. Uh, I, this is a, it, I, it's going to take me. I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to look at you for this episode. I, I, it's, it's a tough um, look. It's going to stay like this probably through the summer, just so you know. It's going to be this short? You're going to keep it this short? Yeah. Yeah, because it grows back. So that's the whole thing. <laughs> back. I've uh, basically been stoned since four o'clock yesterday afternoon. <laughs> so we're gonna have a great episode today. We 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 are. Man. I'm 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 happy to have this guy on the show, man. It's been a long time coming. I don't know why we didn't have him on earlier, but I'm glad we have him on now because uh, he's a comedian. He has this uh, new CD out. It's called Escape from Jacksonville. It's a it's a special. I saw it. It is fucking great. It is really funny. It's really topical. And he's also the host of the American Loser podcast. Let's welcome our buddy, Mr. KP Burke. Fellas, good to see you, man. Happy to be here. It's uh, um, I'm I'm also troubled. I'm glad that just Sean, you're in a good place right now with the shaving. You're doing a, this is Britney yeah. Spears 04 right now happening in front of us. Great. <laughs> It'd be like it's so much easier to believe that you're okay if you also when you were showing your hair just now, which by the way you you pull it off well. But you also have a cast on your wrist, like someone. It looks like you're in some sort of a camp, and you're just like they're treating me very well here. Everything's okay. <laughs> me and me and Jeffrey are a couple of years older than you, uh, KP. So let me explain something to you. Something as simple as your dog uh, jumping on your leg can cause uh, someone of a certain age to lose their footing down their cement steps <laughs> and bash their head and arm doing the same thing, you know, falling down the stairs uh, to the point where the doctor actually said to me, uh, listen, I could be frank with you, right? He goes, yeah. I said, yes. He goes, you're a big dude. You were a cunt hair away from breaking your wrist. That is his medical term. Just so you know. It's accurate. It's a- <laughs> I like how Sean, you know, blamed it on the poor dog as opposed to, to the, the athletic ability of, of a, of a six foot three, 350 pound bald man. Let me you, okay? You you little fucking dwarf. Okay, I am very athletic. Okay, my size means nothing. I am a, I am like a fat ninja. I want you to understand this. I am very athletic. You I may will be a fat ninja, but you look you look like a newborn baby right now. <laughs> I look like a thumb. Is what I basically look like. But I will I will uh, challenge you to a one on one basketball game. And I guarantee you, I will win. If we're going to 21, I'm going 21-7 in my favor. You're giving me that many baskets, huh? Well, <laughs> yeah, little Jewish guy from Brooklyn. I'm sure he's a great basketball player. Anyway, continue. Let's talk to KP. I want to ask you all that. Yeah, yeah, I do want to talk to KP. And uh, so where do we start with KP? Um, all right, let, let's start with let's start with the, um, the album, okay? And no. Oh, you have to start at the height of KP's career was winning the Jacksonville Comedy Festival. <laughs> That's all right. Let's start with that. So, well, I think KP and I, I think we met at Eastville Comedy Club. Is that right? We were doing Randy Humphrey shows together, man, when I first moved back up. Okay, I, I remember you because you had brought this up at at one of the shows we were on together. I mean, I think it was maybe uh, Kevin's show at, outside. And you said, um, when you first moved to New York, I think I was emceeing the show, and I think that's how we became friends. Yes, sir. And then um, you were one of many. Uh, it, it's so weird when you try to have a credit for something, because I remember I started comedy when I was stationed in Jacksonville in the Navy and wasn't really an illustrious scene or anything like that. We had friends that were doing fun stuff and everything. But then, you know, you tried to have like a real credit when you move up here to try to seem you know, impressive or at least relevant in the room, you know, and uh I remember coming up with <laughs> it was a true thing that I, I won rookie of the year for the Jacksonville Comedy Awards, which was a joke award show we did. Um, and then somehow or other, I, th- I want to say, were you there the Amy Schumer night? I think that yeah. was what it was. Yeah, yeah, I, I hosted that. That's a <laughs> so I remember having to go up after the, the place was electric because of her. And then um, you went up to you try to help me out and give me like a good intro or something. And then you turned it into from the Jacksonville Comedy Awards. You turned it into the Jacksonville Comedy Festival. 
And then enough people kept getting it wrong. And I was sitting there like, well, I'm just an idiot for telling people like too long of a credit and nobody actually cares. But now like people think there's a 12 year successful festival going on down in Duval County, Florida, that apparently I keep winning all the time. So you were part of the uh, the legacy of that, Jeff. What you're saying to me is one of my favorite things in comedy so far, which is the fake Jacksonville Comedy Festival story was started by Jeffrey Paul. Absolutely. Fuck me, dude. <laughs> well, I got I to gotta tell you, KP, I have brought up at least three other comics that have used that credit. <laughs> we know what I always say, because uh, I, I, we can we tease him because he's a mutual friend of all of ours. But uh, I always say um, anytime Ken Krantz will t- send me a text message, like, can you give up on this Jacksonville Comedy Festival bit or something? And I'll just I'll write back to him. You know, Ken Krantz, uh, 12 time runner up Jacksonville Comedy <laughs> Festival. <laughs> <laughs> But, <laughs> very funny so, so you got started in uh jacksonville and you know, how were you in the did you do it when you got back from the navy or were you in the navy to kind of take a little bit of break and then went back to comedy how did your comedy career get started it was weird man it was um i was always like one of the funnier guys in the units and stuff like that like i i enjoy joking around and busting chops and stuff i kind of you know you grow up with enough uh funny uncles in your family you're gonna figure That's, out how to tell did jokes you go in right from high school uh, I think I had a year of messing around where I was okay. doing like, uh, I actually worked at, uh, oddly enough, uh, speaking of who's your band, uh, I worked at Fountains of Wayne in uh, North Jersey. Nice. Um, yeah, that was uh, my one gig. So I had about a year of that under my belt. And they were like, they were trying to tell me if I wanted to stick around forever. And then I went going to the Navy instead. And then um, I guess my last year, and when I got back from Dubai is when I started uh, um, going to the comedy zone you know they had like a workshop thing and i'll ask you guys this did either of you guys ever take a comedy class yes you did. one I realized it was bullshit and I, that was the last i did what, i, I was, actually enjoyed it though were you? your classes taught by actual comics though rick chrome see that's good comic yeah see this one was taught by the owner of the comedy zone who was not a comic <laughs> oh wow sounds like uh other people we know who like to get up <laughs> when they own a comedy club and they have no business being on stage. Uh, I wish there wasn't such a wide spray for who that could be about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who you guys are talking about. We'll talk about it. You too many. The uh, Yeah, this one was taught by uh, the club owner. who He wasn't a bad guy, but he, he didn't know um, what the hell he was talking about. And uh, What kind of advice did he give you? Um, he would say, I'll tell you what, it was actually weird. He would say something like, uh, you know, that's a great joke, um, but uh, you can't wear flip flops on stage. <laughs> that's a good tip. He's right. <laughs> so he was right about that. And then uh, the other one was, it always cracked me up too. And uh, I think he was going to tell me I couldn't go on stage one night because I didn't have a collared shirt on. Uh, he, he, he's right about that too. I mean, I don't, I don't get comics that go on without a collared shirt. Yeah, stupid uh, Louis C.K. I yeah, just. No, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he he just barely got by. OK, but, but I mean, you know, Sean wears a college shirt. I you know, I always wear a college shirt. I mean, you, you have to start wearing a college shirt. KP, otherwise, you're never going to make it in this business. That guy was giving you great advice. I never realized how bad I dressed until I realized how many people just give me clothes all the time. <laughs> that's funny that's yeah. funny advice <laughs> i've had multiple headliners i've worked with be like hey i, I bought this for you <laughs> like they don't want to be associated with me you know it's uh i get it i have a shelter type of look i don't know i gotta work on myself what, what else did he say okay you can't wear flip-flop you can't wear wear a college shirt did he say did, did, did he help you with writing did he, did he teach you the rule of threes did he give you any did he, did he teach you like uh anything about like uh, uh, you know uh Anything about like uh, building a pro- what? What did he say that was comedic? Uh, he could talk to you about like the people that he's seen grow, which was kind of cool. And again, I, I got nothing bad to say about the guy. He was <laughs> there was. It's a very weird story where um, uh, I, I'm not comfortable with. Um, I'll say this: uh, it was a weird story where the control that he exerted over his workshop was like borderline, like maniacal, and. Uh, it was very strange to see the hero in this story is actually Carlos Mencia, that Carlos Mencia came to town and broke him. Really? You got to elaborate on this story a little bit more. (laughs) There's a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts here. Yeah. uh, As quickly and succinctly as I can. Uh, So when you went to, you had to pay to get into this workshop 
that you would do from, and for eight weeks you would do, it was pretty much a booked open mic. Um, and then you'd have a graduation show and he'd make a ton of cash because you know everybody would come out on a Tuesday night for you or something like that. And then if you were in the workshop, you could work the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday shows. You get like two, three shows a month. Um, but you know, he was encouraging you to bring people. And if you didn't bring anybody, he didn't not let you go up. So that part was cool. But he was so um, you had to attend the workshop routinely enough, and you had uh, comment cards, and you had to keep your grades for your scores above a certain average, otherwise he would take away time from you and stuff like that, or kick you out of the workshop. And if you didn't go through the workshop uh, and you weren't allowed on any of the shows at the club. So then it was pretty amusing because one, a couple of years later, after I'd moved back up here, um, I had an opportunity to go back down. And my buddy told me we had a Thursday, a Friday and a Saturday lined up. And my buddy literally called me the day of and just goes, uh, Hey man. So the, uh, the one place is closed and they never told anybody. And then the, uh, the Friday uh, she didn't sell enough tickets. So we're canceling the show. So now I, I flew down to do one show on a Saturday and I just happened to look on the calendar and I saw that uh, Carlos Mencia was in town and we have a mutual friend that we know. Uh, I won't say his name. It's uh, his initials are KD. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Good so, day. <laughs> uh, so I hit him up. I just said, Hey man, are you in town? Maybe I can grab a guest spot on those shows or something. And he goes, Oh, I'm not in town. And he goes, hang on one second. And then he calls me back a few minutes. So he goes, Hey, they just fired the host down there for the weekend. You're hosting all weekend at the club. Oh, dude, that is great. Yeah, so it was pretty great. But then it was fun watching the weird control that this guy who used to, you know, the club owner used to be able to kind of boss people around, especially when I was an open micer. He used to be able to do that. And then now he's sitting there, he goes, well, you know, Mr. Berg, this normally they don't they don't do this, you know. And then uh, the club was in a hotel and they had like this nice buffet, like a full on buffet that the comics would get to eat at. And then um Cisco Duran, who was the feature the whole week. Oh, yeah, I've worked yeah. <laughs> Cisco's good people. He um he shows up and he goes, Hey Fred, we're gonna get something to eat. And he pulls me with him and he goes, you know, the host, um, the host doesn't get to eat at the uh the buffet typically. And then uh Cisco just looks like the club on right in the eye and goes, It's all you can eat though, right? <laughs> and then just hands me a plate and me and him, and I I'm telling you, I rage ate crab legs to take all of the $170 back that I paid to take his stupid fucking class. <laughs> but he wasn't a bad guy, but it was, it is fun to see people get um what they can start getting away with kind of alluding to what Sean was saying earlier, when people realize that there's no one there to, to shoulder check them, that they can just kind of behave as uh, badly as they want to. So you, you escape from uh, Jackson and that's the title of the uh, special. And um, you've been in comedy, what, you're about 10 years in, aren't you? I think, yeah, last St. Patrick's Day was 10 years for me. Okay, so th th that's a good time to actually put out th this material. Yeah. And But the thing is, it's not a dated material. I mean, if you listen to it, like from the very beginning, he's talking about Joe Biden. It's really, really clever stuff. It's really, really, very, very <laughs> funny. No, it really is. I think it's great. Um, so how did the whole process come, come about and why, why put it out now? Well, the, um, it was exciting because, uh, I kind of knew I wanted to, to do something. We realized, um, I do my podcast over at, uh, Mike and Ming's, uh, studio, the guys from comic book men, they're kind of associated with the whole Kevin Smith world mm -hmm. and right. all the shit that they have in their studio. I was like, you know, you could kind of, you're, you're maybe two or three pieces of equipment away from your own like production company here. That, that's how much stuff that they had. And then I kind of got word through, um, they told me that they were going to open up the Smod Castle, which is uh, where we filmed the whole thing. That's actually the video store from Clerks. So it's in the right. same strip mall as the Quick Stop. And uh, I hadn't, we that's realized- That's how was, the CD opens. That's how the, the special opens. Yeah, that was, uh, it was pretty great, man. It was, uh, it was cool. I'm friendly with all those guys. Ernie O'Donnell runs that joint over there. And uh, I kind of had a couple of meetings with him. We had known each other from a roast I did years earlier of uh, all those guys, but- um, I hit him up. I just said, Hey man, when's an opportunity coming up here? And he told me, he goes, listen, clerks three is supposed to be wrapping up on this date. So this would be the weekend you could do it. It just happened to be my birthday. So we guilted all my friends and family into coming out for it. <laughs> and, uh, we were able to record something there. We filmed it. And then the, uh, literally the guy who's my sound, um, engineer here, uh, you know, uh, my, my version of Adam that you guys have is, uh, our boy, the big kahuna, who is actually a filmmaker. And he was so excited at the chance to do it. And we worked on a budget together and everything. And, he shot the shit out of it, man. I'm, I've been doing the jokes for about 10 years, you know, 10 years worth of writing, I should say. So uh, he made it look good, presented it well. And then we just happened to get lucky that uh, I was working on another project and uh, the people from 800 pound gorilla got involved. 
And so then one of them, I invited him to come out and hang out at the show because he's a great guy. His name's Chris Ells. I hit him up and he just goes, uh, the next day he goes, hey, great time at your tape. He goes, can we talk about, uh, can we do a meeting next week or something? And then the next thing I know, I'm winding up like signing with their record label to release the thing. And thank God I did because I have no clue how to do. I can write the jokes. I can't do anything else, man. I'm a fucking moron. <laughs> People don't really, like when you want to be hands on with a, with a recording or a special like that. There are so many moving parts that if you really don't know what you're doing, it's going to show real quick. Yeah, there's some I'll tell you this one, too. Uh, Sean and I are. Um, I actually think Jeff's probably the best human being on this show here. Sean and I are both. Uh, we have some bitter uh, Irish rage to us. Horrible people. <laughs> but um, when I started realizing I wanted to do this was because I was seeing other people that I, I'm not, I don't want to say better than, but people that I didn't think were ready to be putting stuff out. Mm-hmm. I saw them doing stuff and I was, so rather than get angry and sit there and be like, you believe this fucking jerk off putting something out. I was like, you know what? Let me just, maybe, I, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm holding myself back. And I took a chance and, so far, it's going pretty good, man. Three times, three separate times, I never released anything because I was very obnoxious and thought that I was ready to put them out. And then it just wasn't worth it. So, I, when, you know, I'm, be, I'm doing mine uh, before the end of the year. So it's good when you know when you're ready because you just hit a great point, too. If you're putting out garbage material and you got to put it out there, it's going to stay out there. There's no pulling it back. So somebody can judge their whole opinion on you about, you know, a stupid joke. You know, I think. I think it was great timing on your part to put this out too, because uh, I'm going to be nice, Sean, for a while. And I don't like doing this. It really hurts me to do this. But um, KP, in my opinion, is one of like the, uh, you know how like five years ago, you would see like Mark Normand and like Joe List and all these guys, they're always like right on the cusp and they were going to break out because they were opening for Louis and stuff like that. I kind of feel KP is the same way. Yeah, well, listen, I, I- I, I I'm kind of, I'm kind of in the same camp with that because I remember when the first time I met him I remember on that show and then you know, you, you followed Amy Schumer you you were always always good it's almost like you always like kind of like a natural thing. but I, you know I, I'm tired of being nice to KP you know it's been too too much did he just freeze no yeah he's, he's frozen he's staring at your eyes oh there he is he's back okay. He's back. Yeah, I don't know what happened with that one, guys. Sorry about that. Okay. We, we, we were just saying, we're, we're not going to be nice to you anyway. It's enough. Enough. No, and I will. He, listen, I worked with KP like, uh, I don't know, two, three months ago. And uh, he was featuring for me. And he did so fucking well that I bombed the shit out of 45 minutes after him. So I'm totally fine with saying that. He's a great. <laughs> Was, didn't uh, your stairs kill you again or something that weekend, too? You were a hurting camper, <laughs> man. Don't. don't. <laughs> he, kid. he falls off his stairs at least once a week now, KP. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and 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 then when and then when he does poorly on stage, he blames it on falling off the stairs and the dog, you know, and the poor dog gets beaten at night, and that's what happens. Well, I appreciate all the nice things you guys say too, man, because it's yeah. been uh, it's always fun working with you, jerks. Busting friends' balls, but like when you know, the, you know, the hundreds and dozens and tens of people who listen to this podcast, you know, they do value our opinions. So if we do say something, <laughs> they will go out and check you out. So also tell people how they can get. Uh, uh, a copy of this or watch. I, I watched it on YouTube. Um, are you able to make money off of it by watching on YouTube? Because it's a lot of views that you're gonna you have to get. So how can they get like a copy of that? How how can how can you how can you do uh, well on this? Well, uh, it, it's weird. It's such a, a strange time for that. It's like. Uh, to almost try to make it like rock and roll or, or hip hop or something. It's about getting like uh, mixtapes or demos out there that people can hear. And then, you know, it gets some notoriety to you. So YouTube, I forget what the numbers, they keep moving the goalposts for what I would have to do to then get, uh, you know, to start seeing like a check come through or something. But once the Sirius XM lawsuit is over, that'll go on there, which is nice. I got a couple tracks on there already from a different project. Um, best thing people can do for me right now, it is, it's, it's a fucking free special, man. It's free. It's on YouTube. It's called Escape from Jacksonville. Uh, you just check that one out. If people comment, that helps out with the algorithm. And then uh, the feedback's been really good. I'm actually, I don't know how this one exactly happened. Uh, I would not have known how to do the reels, kind of like what Sean was saying earlier. I had no clue how to roll out a project, but that um, the one COVID joke that I have, they turned into a reel and it was pretty cool because um, I was kind of in disbelief when I checked it last night before I went to bed. We It's over a million views. Oh, wow. Holy- there yeah. you go. <laughs> so, um, 
that part's going out. That's pretty cool. I think this is just going to be like a calling card to try to work more clubs. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the goal, man. It's uh, just about putting something out there that I like. Um, and I, I, I like when comedy fans like your shit, you know what I mean? But of course they're also cheap fucks, so they don't buy anything, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's kind of like, uh, the changing of the God in the music business. Cause back in the days it used to be like, you used to go on tour to promote your album. So people would buy your album. So you get points off the album points were, were percentage points, you know, so you would get, you would get you know, cut on the album sales. Now, a lot of musicians are not even affiliated with a label. They don't have to be uh, putting out free music uh, just so they could fill a room and sell merch at the room and get it. So the whole industry kind of went you know, reverse and that kind of because I'm seeing guys like you, uh, Sam Morell, even Mark Norman just put out something free on YouTube. Well, I think you wind up making pennies on the dollar if you go through. So, and also it's changing too with uh, like I know people that have put something out on Comedy Central, and they're like, you might you more people will see this if you put it out on YouTube and just promote it yourself. It's it both ways to beat the system. <laughs> I mean, a guy that we're all friendly with, um, he says it all the time, you know, Mike Racine um, was talking about like how he had his special on uh, on Comedy Central and like, you know, what they air it like, you know, two, three times on, uh, you know, at, at 324 in the morning, you know. So, I mean, I don't know if the, those specials even have the cachet anymore. The whole you know, point. Now, that's that's pretty big is probably a dry bar special. Dry those- bar is, is a good one. The yeah. rules are crazy though. Yeah. I, a friend told me though it's like you you get like 1600 bucks you got to fly yourself out there. Um you can't say anything remotely religious, controversial, uh political, anything they it's filmed in front of like old Mormons. Yeah. Like you can't even say dick or or like you know ass or anything like that. It's got to be squeaky squeaky clean. Uh, Vanessa Hollings I did one she said it was the most stressful thing she's ever done in her career. I'm still blown away that Gaffney pulled off a, a 45 minute for them. That still blows it's, my mind. It, well, it's, able- it's not 20, it's not 45 minutes though. You know, you film about 25 minutes. Oh, is that how they, even yeah. that, I mean, I, I can't go through a phone conversation with Mike Gaffney without him dropping two F-bombs <laughs> usually. <laughs> but um, let's, let's, let's switch gears a little bit here and tell us a little bit about American loser podcast. Oh man, that's uh that's a fun one, dude. That's uh been it's coming up on four years now. It's uh the idea started out as a book. Um it was gonna be I wanted to write, and I should probably do it because we're coming up on an election year uh in the next two years, but it was gonna be uh, a little each chapter of the book was gonna be about the person who ran for president that election and lost. And okay, and that's why it's called American Loser. There you go. Yeah, so that would and then you realize as you're going through, like, wow, if this guy ran for president how many times and never won it. That's pretty trippy. Um, and then he did a lot of interesting characters. So what we wanted to do is then I started putting um, uh, together, like who would be the biggest loser in American history, whether it's Aaron Burr or anybody else like that. And the guy always, I always loved history and I'd be bouncing these ideas off my dad all the time. And then he would say, uh, he's like, Oh, that's a pretty good one. man." he goes, oh, actually I was researching this too. And we're having this conversation. I said, you should probably just be my, you know, uh, you should probably be my Sean Morton, you know, and uh, come on the show and help me out here. And uh, so me and my dad have been doing the podcast for about four years now. And uh, we picked up a weird, very eccentric fan base. Um, yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of characters. Well, history, but, pe- history people are very, you know, very passionate. You know, they're they are very eccentric. Um, you mentioned Aaron Burr. In, is, in your opinion, most biggest loser. I mean, Sean, do you know who Aaron Burr is? Well, he just left in hot water, right? That's a- yes. <laughs> <laughs> I did sheetrock for him. <laughs> that, that's a true story. I hung sheetrock for him when he moved to Jersey. It's a <laughs> but um, Aaron Burr is a good one. Uh, the craziest guy that we found throughout wait, the whole. Wait, you, you can go crazy. Just a little background about Aaron Burr. Okay. He's a guy who uh, he, he was a loser because he ran for president. Okay, right. He winds up being um, Jefferson's vice president, has severe beef with Alexander Hamilton. They go to a duel. Hamilton doesn't think it's actually going to be real. And Burr is like, it's fucking real. Okay, he shoots him once, kills him in uh, Jersey, in Jersey (laughs) and we hawk him. Right. 
and then tries to run for governor of New York, which I think Hamilton kind of sabotaged in a way, and then was going to try to bring, I think, and back me up here, KP, he tried to take the New England states and form a confederacy. Yeah, he had a he was part of a cabal, if you will, where they were going to try to overthrow the uh, um, the the very uh, infantile United States government. So he was going to become the president of his own section of the country, if you will. It was he's a pretty ridiculous human being. And by the way, uh, I forgot you were a learned fellow there, Jeff. No, that was uh, that was a pretty good uh, synopsis of uh, old Aaron Burr. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I defined to be such a, an interesting character. And when when you when you talked about the premise of your show about being losers, I mean, that's a pretty big loser. He wanted to live in the le- rest of his life in exile in Spanish Florida, because at the time, Florida isn't uh, part of the United States. So, I mean, yeah, the, the guy went from being the second guy, the second guy in the United States, although it is very, you know, at the beginning of our country, but he winds up living the rest of his life in, in you know, fucking Jacksonville. <laughs> <laughs> I, heard, I heard he went into comedy. And he was runner up to, to one of KP's like great, 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 great ancestors, great, JP Burke. That would do it, man. Burr, Burke. There's something there. The, uh, um, the craziest uh, guy that I ever heard of was um, around that same time frame, though, was James Wilkinson. I don't know if you ever heard about him. Nope. Okay. Like, I thought, yeah, I thought he was a, a, a god for the Jets. It's a like Muhammad <laughs> Wilkinson shit. Okay. Um, well, James Wilkinson is a pretty, pretty wild dude. He was uh, at three separate times. He was head of the United States Army and the entire time he was a traitor selling info to Spain. Uh, wow. He was. Yeah, but it, it like it literally people knew that he was like, oh, God, he was the he would um, he would sell military supplies to people. He was just like the biggest scumbag. And they finally busted him sending messages down to uh, the Spanish or whatever. And it was almost like an episode of uh, remember the show, The Shield with Michael Chiklis back in the day and the corrupt cops. There was a great one where uh, I guess Chiklis's guys got uh, you know pulled over something like that with like drugs in the car or something. They're like, oh, yeah, it's part of this uh, undercover beef or something like that we're doing. And uh, they have to call Michael. Ch- so they literally call their corrupt boss to come bust them out. Really like, oh, yeah, these guys are with me. Everything's good. They the Spanish. um guys that got captured the spies with like all this info that was going to show that Wilkinson was a traitor to the United States. Um, nobody spoke Spanish. So they brought in James Wilkinson who spoke Spanish. And then he's like, Oh, they're fine. These guys are okay. Don't worry about them. And like literally Washington knew the entire time that uh, the guy was a giant scumbag. He wound up, I think he sold his, after he left the United States military, he wound up trying to like become the emperor of Mexico or somewhere. He was going to be the right hand of the, uh, the emperor of Mexico. And he kind of just sold military secrets, was a total sc- – he's the biggest scumbag in American history, and nobody and he knows got, who he, he is. he got caught. Never. No, he never got caught because he would have then been tried for treason. Yeah, they tried getting him involved. He actually ratted out Aaron Burr for the cabal, where he was like such a corrupt guy, and then he realized that uh, Burr's cabal wasn't going to work. So then he goes uh, and told Washington about it. So he was a, a rat on top of being a scumbag. I mean, he was pretty – he was pretty wild. So who – out of, out, of, out of all the presidents we've had, where well, we have up to 46, who who do you say is like a guy who you like? Is there someone who's your favorite and who do you, is your least favorite? Um, Calvin Coolidge has some of the, the best stories about him that uh, he wound up only doing the one term and they asked him if he was going to run for reelection. He goes, no, I already did everything I wanted to. And the, the best story I ever heard about Coolidge was he didn't talk much. And I guess there was like a big White House dinner or something. And he had a, a dinner guest, like some very young, pretty, like modeled girl sitting there at the table. And she goes, uh, I have a bet with my friends that I can get you to say more than three words tonight at dinner. And uh, Coolidge, was, his response was, you lose. <laughs> Never said another word to her. Yeah. He had, you see, we should have gotten his campaign people to write for us because he had a great campaign slogan when he ran. Do you know what it was? I'm trying to remember. It was keep cool with Coolidge. <laughs> <laughs> so fucking bad. <laughs> keep cool with Coolidge. Like, like oh, a, you can see them like in, like in a writing room, and, and they're like, oh man, th- this nails it. Th- this is this is so on the edge. Yeah, we gotta go with that. Keep cool with Coolidge. <laughs> the, uh, for the worst, I would probably say it's Warren G. Harding. He's pretty bad. Why Harding? Um, he was, I think he lived the best life ever. He, he lived the life that I think the three of us all want to live, where um, 
everybody likes you while you're alive. And then all the bad stuff that you did in your life comes out, but only after you're dead. Oh, all mine's out there already. <laughs> See, I figured you, a guy like UKP, I figured would go with Hoover. I mean, that's another guy that was super, super popular until he got into the office of the presidency. And then, then he just turned into, uh, you know, when they name the uh, the vagabond towns after you, that's not a good thing. Yeah. When, yeah, when they, when they call like Hoovervilles, Hoovervilles with showing with these like shitty shacks that, you know, it's depicted really good in the movie Cinderella Man. Okay. You know, to see how people actually live. A uh, lot of comparisons to like what was going on uh, then and now. You know, uh, especially uh, during the pandemic and just just just, just government fucking up. You know, uh, they called like a newspaper Hoover blankets and his <laughs> they, they, they did because people just sleep on on park benches. And uh, his theory of of economics was uh, fuck giving people immediate relief because when people don't have money, they don't want money. They want the companies to get the money and then the companies will filter the money down, which the companies did not do. It's that trickle down thing that we always hear about where, where it makes some sense. And you're like, but only if everybody's you know doing the right thing. And it's very hard to get a room full of people to do the right thing, let alone a nation. Well, the thing is, it's the reason why you study history is so you, you're not condemned to repeat it. Right. So when Obama is in office. And the car industry is on the verge of collapse. You know, he, at the time, it was a lot of money, $750 million. And he gives a bailout. But there are no provisions in this bailout. So what do you, what do you think the, the CEOs do with that money? They give it to their stockholders. It doesn't get trickled down. And they have to give another uh, bailout, this time with provisions on it. It's a, <laughs> I'm kind of a man without a country when it comes to politics, because I, I I have so many things where I'm, um, I lean right on, and I have so many things that I'm pretty left wing on. You talk about it. I'm the same way. I'm the same way though too. I'm very middle ground. No, but well, that's what logical people are supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The response to the, the clip so far too is hilarious because if somebody, uh, I've been called a, uh, I, I don't. <laughs> we've been pretty civil here on the show, but I'll say, I, I've been called a, uh, a liberal faggot and a uh, racist redneck. Um, for the same joke, just nothing different about the joke, but it's what, cause people just get mad at you. They, they want you, they're not mad at me. They're trying to win an argument that they lost three weeks ago that they replay <laughs> in their head in the shower every night. And then they see this opportunity to kind of sink their teeth into you. So it's pretty, there's so many, so I got called, uh, what was it? Somebody wrote a comment where they said, uh, this guy should, this clown should be, uh, on, uh, uh CNN, the comedy news network. That's and good like, shit. That's a good fucking joke right there. <laughs> <laughs> like if you could tell some of my liberal friends that i should be on cnn their heads would explode you know what i mean yeah right so now that's tough with that stuff man they, they get you actually i dunked on somebody pretty good the other day he was um he's a good friend of mine uh you guys would know who he is he's a great dude i, I can't say his name just because it, it, it's not a great look for him but he was talking about moving to pennsylvania and now that he lives around all the rednecks and stuff like that and he goes and he's doing this voice He's one of those guys that has to throw his politics into every conversation. Okay. Um, and he's a great guy, but uh, he's talking about, he goes, oh yeah, I live out there with all the, the rednecks. You know what I mean? It's the ones, the real rednecks, you know, like with the shotgun in their hand, like they're saying the election was stolen and they're mad still. And I looked at him, I was like, oh, they're still mad about 2000. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Speaking of, speaking of guns, what, what, what is your whole, what, both of you guys, what's your whole take on this, this uh, whole new, Gun, gun reform movement that the country's kind of moving in. What do you think? I haven't heard uh, Sean you even comment on something like this. Yeah, we haven't. I'm not a very political dude in the least bit, but I don't know. I'm kind of. When I see on middle ground, there's certain things that like I, I just think are logical. Like I, I just feel like a woman has the right to make a decision for her body, but she also has the right to have a handgun strapped onto her hip if she walks into an abortion clinic. Like that's kind of the logical thing that I talk about. I don't see there's any reason for any kind of like military style assault rifles. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see the need for that. I think every house should have a gun all you want. I mean, have a hunting rifle and stuff like that. But like, I don't know if you can like blow up a goddamn fucking building with the thing, you really shouldn't have the need to have it in your house. What do you think? 
think about this. It gets complicated because I, I want to every like as, as in like my morality wants me to agree with uh, Sean. But then it's like when you get into the, the details, that's where you realize like an AR is actually an all encompassing term and it can be just about anything. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, the um, they always do the dumbest things, too, because the same way you were saying, like uh, just when the government tries to help, they actually just fuck more things up. Like um, what was it? The uh, uh, no more folding stocks on rifles and stuff like I'm a gun owner. I grew up shooting stuff like that. You know what I mean? We'd go hunting. Uh, my uncle would take me out. You know, we would go after deer and stuff like that in Jersey or most recently South Carolina. And um, I'll put it this way. This, this is where I get comfortable and uncomfortable. You got people that have the strongest opinions about guns and then no knowledge about how they work. They've never even shot one. So that's kind of mind blowing. And then there's the other part of it where you're like, oh, cool. Maybe I should go. Maybe I should, you know, maybe NRA people are, you know, going to make more sense to me. And then you see that you can win an AR 15 in a raffle and you're like, I don't want that either. That's <laughs> no, you know. there's got to be some type of middle ground. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that there needs to be some type of, of gun reform. Okay. But, uh, you know, I mean, there are people who are suggest, suggesting, I mean, you're suggesting they're doing it in Canada, you know, just say, we're just going to take away all your guns. And now think about you, you're a guy who lives in a place like in the stick somewhere in Pennsylvania. And there's, you know, there's not, there's no police around, you know, or the police aren't going to be able to come, you know, they, you know, some of these little towns, they close their, their, their doors at nine o'clock and you're pretty much stuck defending yourself. You know, um, we we only hear about these things in major cities. But when you really go, I mean, you guys have all been on the road when you really you know, travel and see what America is. It is a lot of these little uh, type of cities. And, you know, these people, have, you know, they use them as a means of, of defense. And it's in the Second Amendment. So, you know, it's like I, I think you need to be when you was talking about people not never shooting okay there are people who can buy a weapon without ever shooting i mean i think you need to qualify i think you need to re you know um requalify every year and i do think the age, the age should kind of go up if you can't you know um yeah you know was it 21 i think 21 kind of makes sense to me well it's not a bad one too uh jersey's actually got i don't have many problems with new jersey's gun laws um it's a little bit of a pain in the ass, but I also was concerned when I was living in Florida and I remember going to Dick's Sporting Goods to buy a shotgun. And I was like, all right, cool. So I'm, I'll pay for it here. And when can I take it home with me? And the guy behind the counter was like, you're not taking it now. Like it was, <laughs> I walked out the door with a shotgun that day. That was a little trippy for me. But then Jersey's laws are a little backwards. And of course, they got to rob you twice, you know, because you got to put in you know money for permits and stuff like that. Because we're just, we're the Soprano state. Everybody's got to get paid. Fuck you, pay me kind of a thing. But uh all in all, the way that they do it for Jersey is if you want a pistol, um, you get a firearms ID card. So that they, there should be a little bit of a way for them to have a, a registry. You know what I mean? I'm not against that. Um, there's also ways around it, too. If you get a shotgun, like my shotgun was given to me. It was a gift from my uncle. Um, you know, so I got I got to keep that you know gun after he passed away, which was really cool. And then uh, my grandfather brought home pistols from World War II that are not registered. So it's weird. It's like, do I, are we are we housing an illegal weapon right now or how do we? I don't know. He, he took it off a dead German over in. Uh, <laughs> can, can they still fire? Uh, the one does. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty it was a, cool. A Mauser pistol. It was uh, I think it fired a 32 caliber. I'm not sure. I'll have to check on that. Oh, that's, that's 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 a great piece. Yeah, it was uh, it was rare, too, man. He and my grandfather was funny. So he goes, oh, I wanted a Luger instead. But whatever. We just you, you had to take whatever you took off of who, you know. But you know what the thing is, like you, we, like I live in New York. You, you guys are in Jersey. But you look at states like New York, New Jersey, uh, Illinois, Los Angeles. They have some of the strictest gun laws in the country, and still doesn't deter people. So is is, is it is it, and suppose like you you played the whole thing out and just say, all right, we're going to just take away all the guns. You don't think like the, these maniacs will find either illegal guns or a different way to, to wreck carnage? Yeah, just start making bombs. Even bombs. How about what happened um, in December? You just have someone like, hey, there's a there's a Christmas parade. You have a bunch of innocent people and just drive a fucking car through them. You got. Uh, you can see other countries that have done it too, where it's. Um, 
I think England took away most of the guns. Um, and then Australia took away majority of the guns. And the thing you were saying too, that's so pertinent too, is response time is bad. Like, uh, I don't think we'll ever fully get rid of guns because North Dakota has to wait an hour for the ambulance to show up. You know what I mean? That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And the country I think you're referring to that that did away with guns and then kind of like used them against their own people was, is Syria. Uh, it is bad. It's always, um, (laughs) it is a fallacy to talk about a slippery slope, but there is so much like chaos with the gun thing. Like it's, um, because again, the same way, I'm not saying it's the same thing, but the same way where it's, uh, uh, they, they're very quick to say that men shouldn't be making laws about women's bodies, you know, whether it's a lack of understanding on our part or whatever. Okay. There's, I'll listen to you on that one. There's some legitimacy there, but also uh, the people who have never shot a gun. I read an article of a guy saying, I just fired an AR 15 uh, and it was absolutely terrifying. And I have PTSD from it now. And this, is, <laughs> this was like a legit article. And I was like, I remembered because did you see this article? Oh, this was a couple of years ago. It was right after, unfortunately, I think it was right after the Sandy Hook shooting. And that's the thing is that these shootings are so friggin' devastating and it's brutal stories. You never want to hear this stuff. It's like horror stuff. Um, but then the response to it that this guy had was talking about shooting an AR-15, which I think you guys have probably shot him before, right? I know Jeff, yeah. uh, previous no, job, probably. I've done it. Well, the recoil is so I light. May, on I, I may or may not have him in my house. <laughs> <laughs> the recoil is so light on an M4 that you can go full auto and put the butt of the gun up against your crotch and it wouldn't even hurt your, your, you know, your junk. Um, I'm not saying I did it in Florida one time, but we proved that that's correct. Okay. That was, <laughs> but yeah, that the people that get nervous and then they, they say something stupid or whatever, oh, I just want all guns gone forever. And it's like, that, that's very nice, wishful thinking, but you have to apply some reality. Well, you know, the whole thing is in comedy and, and, you know, on, on some of these talk shows, it's all about getting like, it's not even getting laughs. It's about getting clapping points. You know, <laughs> it, it is. And so you, you'll say something like that. And, and like, you know, people get, oh, that, 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 that's so that's so profound. It's it's so profound, but it's so inaccurate. And and it, and it looks like you're you're you're, you're you just said something like really valid. And it's the stupidest fucking thing you've ever heard. You know, <laughs> Kip, you Beto makes me laugh. Oh, he's he's he, is there a more pandering guy in the world? Is there anyone who could just be authentic? I don't think he wants to win anything that he actually, I think he's, he's one of those guys where he's like, all right, so I can make some money if I run for this. He goes, but I don't want to win. Cause then if you win, you have to do the job. So like, how are you going to try to run for governor of Texas? And you're saying you're damn right. We're coming in for your AR 15s. Like you're going to say that to Texas, man. That's like, it's like coming to Jersey and saying, we're going to outlaw pizzerias, man. There's not (laughs) (laughs) ridiculous. We we did see a guy when, twice and do nothing but just ruin a, a, a city was bill de blasio that's <laughs> sean and i live just close enough to you guys that the mayor of new york actually does impact us a little bit that's <laughs> like, oh, like you're, you're not from this generation though kp but you know jeff is like new york city in the late 90s when you can go to show world and like possibly walk out of there with hepatitis like that was some of the times in new york city and completely gone it's never go we're going back to that to that now, era i remember when i was in i never told you this story john i was in high school and me and my friend we were taking a bit we were taking a big trip to the city right and we were going to see we were going to see a marilyn chambers porn <laughs> and we get there and it's it's like it's the premiere i, I don't know what movie it was but it was it's the premiere of the movie and she's downstairs and she, you know, and she's signing autographs. So we're like, oh man, we got to meet Marilyn Chambers. So we get online and they get, they give you a picture and she's sitting there completely naked. Okay. And the picture is her naked, but she's sitting like on the, like this, this almost like this throne. Um, and she signs the picture and I'm looking at the, at the, at the picture and it's a picture for like fucking spread Eagle. And I was just kind of like thinking like, can you imagine like all like the shots that they took before they chose that one? Like she was there with like the little monocle trying to fit all oh, that, you know, my pussy looks good in this one. And I hear it's a little, a little too blurry all over here, but that was, that was New York city. Yeah, and the then camera I, adds 10 pounds of pussy. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Then that same night, do you, I don't know if you guys ever got caught up in this scam. Like, so you go like to, to, to the bar and a girl comes over and says, Hey, can you get me a drink? And you're like, yeah, yeah. You want a beer? And then she gets a champagne cocktail and it costs 30 bucks. And like, you're a high school kid. You know, you guys like is like 40. Yep. Like, I, I can't afford this. Oh God. Yeah. I love how Jeff knows how his favorite porn star's name is Marilyn Chambers. Cause he met her, but like my favorite porn, her name is she's like a Colombian grandmother. He was, was like a traffic cone in her ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing we, we, we went to the city and it was like, that was the big thing, you know, it wasn't like the, the convenience of, of, of JKP's spoiled generation. We could just sit home and, and masturbate. No, we had to, we had to fucking put in work KP. We had to drive into the city. Actually, we couldn't even drive because we didn't even have licenses yet. You took the express bus into the city. Okay. Yeah, we went into you went to show showtime. Okay, that Sean was talking about, and trust me, those things on the floor weren't, weren't egg drops. Okay, you if you stood if you stood still for more than fifteen seconds, your feet stuck to the ground. <laughs> Absolutely, I'll never forget one time we went to Show World, and it was kind of like a U shaped uh, theater, yes. and, and the boots, you know, come out whatever. So it was me and three of my friends. So. My one friend, you know, it's four of us in a row. And so we're leaving and we're like, oh, like, I don't know, six, seven, maybe. And we're all laughing like assholes. And my one friend goes, yo, what'd you do? I was like, oh, I, I grabbed the tits. I'm like, yeah, I saw, I saw. And the other one's like, well, what'd you do? And it's like, oh, I touched her ass. And then my best friend goes, what did you do? And I go, here, smell. And I ran my fingers right across his face. <laughs> and he, he's so fucking hard that I still have like a little bit of loss in my right ear. <laughs> I used to love those things growing up though. It was like it was the it was the it was the hunt. Like Jeff was saying too. Like when I was a kid, like you you grew up with internet porn, like basically right in front of you, you know? And you're not much younger, you're only about 10 years younger than me, but that's a huge difference. It's a huge, huge difference. I would have to go on a bus to like this one store, like 25 minutes away, and it was just loose tapes like loose VHS tapes. And they weren't even like with the ones, like with the fancy labels, they were like white paper that they had handwritten the name of the, of the porn on it. And it would just stick it on. So you had no idea what you were buying. Like imagine going there, maybe you wanted to see some big titties or a big ass or whatever. And you have no idea. The one that sticks to my head was called hot night. Hey, did you ever see hot night? Uh, now is there, is there some clever spelling here? No, it's just like a hot night. And I, dude, I can remember this scene is that it's like an old, it's like from the seventies. It's a seventies porn without a doubt. And they sneak into this bathroom as man and woman. And she starts, she drops to her knees and she's going down on him. And they cut the shot to the people on the outside of the door. And somebody starts walking in and knocks on the door, bangs on it really hard, goes back to the guy who's getting the blow job. And his face just turns and goes, Occupied. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> stuck at me for 30 years. How many oh, times man. did you rewatch that scene? Dude, I would fucking kill to see that scene now. Because <laughs> I know how I saw it in my head. I want to make sure it's still the same way. It's fucking perfect. There was, um, what's it? So I, I work the, the day gig I do. Um, I'm in bars very, very early in the morning. And, uh, we clean the beer lines. So usually there it's like 5 a.m. starts. And for whatever reason, Charmed is just in syndication, like 24-7, the old Alyssa Milano show. <laughs> and um, I've never I've watched probably four seasons of that show at this point, just because it's always on at all the bars, because that's where the, the NBA games are on TNT. And then at 5 a.m., they just leave the TVs on and I come in and it's Charmed. And I swear to God, there's a couple of seasons of that show. I've never seen an episode with the sound on, so I have no idea what they're talking about or doing. But some of the outfits they picked, I sat there I was like, this is borderline Cinemax 2000s porn. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> On Charmed, that was Melissa Milano, was it Rose McGowan? Yeah. He showed up because they uh, Shannon Doherty was there. That's like, Shannon she's, Doherty was the other She's one. one of my all-times, man. They, they killed her off or something like that. Again, I don't watch it with the sound on, but... Uh, the whole show, it seemed like there was always like, I would love to be the director on that show. And like, all right, cool. So we're, we're you know, the, obviously we're going to resolve the plot twist here. And then the final part of the show is just going to be all right, uh, halter tops, everyone onto your halter tops for the final number. It's just, uh, 
you can kind of understand, you know what I mean? Why that show was so popular when you see uh, one of the older guys I work with, Gene, he's a great dude. He'll, he'll just every now and then I'll look up. He's just staring at the TV, like just stop dead in his tracks. Just like, I can't believe it. You know what I mean? They're, 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. That was a strange time for women's fashion, too. That was yeah. uh, <laughs> it's uh, I don't want to discredit the Me Too movement that a couple of those Milano and Rose McGowan both got involved with. But you're also sitting there and you're like, OK, women should be respected. That's not hard to do. Um, you should, obviously you shouldn't be gross or a pig to women and stuff like that. But I'm also not looking for lectures on how they're more than just a piece of meat when they also used to wear thongs that purposefully stuck out of their low rider jeans. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. You're sending me mixed messages here, ladies. <laughs> so be- before we wrap this up, because, because yeah, listen, man, the hour goes by so fast. Um, the name of the show is Who's Your Band? And we haven't even discussed any music yet. KP, you, are you a music guy? I am, but I, it's only the stuff that I like. So there's some stuff on, I have some real uh, lack of knowledge on. I know you guys are more well-versed than I. Well, well, who's, I'll see if I can, if I can school you on it. Yeah, who's, who's, who's your band? Like, favorite band, artist, album, song, genre? Huge, huge, huge. Uh, I would say my favorite band is Pearl Jam. Um, my dog's name was Eddie. It was, it was Eddie Vedder. We named him. Um, <laughs> That's my dog's name. That's the best, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's after Iron Maiden. That uh, There was a chick that um, was like a metalhead chick that when she met the dog, I was, like, I was like, oh, this is Eddie. And she goes, you named your dog after Iron Maiden? And I was like, to keep this conversation going. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and then a huge I, I recently it's always fun when you get into something new that's been around forever, because then it's like um, uh, the whole kind of world opens up to you. Of it. I just am such a huge Tom Waits fan. Tom Waits. Yeah, huge. I, I maybe two years, uh, two years ago, I think I started to first like really get into his stuff. And then now I've just bought almost every album. Got a poster of him somewhere around here too. He's just about uh he's he's something else, man. Yeah, definitely a fucking city comic now. <laughs> uh that and uh, I like that he he sings like I imagine Jim Florentine would sing. <laughs> That's that's true. That's that's so true. I mean, but you, I could hear, I could see the similarities actually between Tom Waits and Pearl Jam. You know, where it is kind of like very, I don't know. I guess like more like a slower tempo. I a tempo. I know Pearl Pearl Jam will have songs like um, Animal and like you know some songs you know like that, that. But usually it's 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 like poetic rock. You know, would you say that that's kind of true, Sean? No, they're a rock and roll band. I mean, I know what you're trying to say that they're not like, uh, you know, some some bands have like real bangers that are real fucking hard. No, but I mean, but you know, they're not. Like, they're a little more, uh, you know, hard rock than or rock. Right, writers hard. love to throw, uh, like to put music and you know just art really in a category, and so Pearl Jam is kind of thrown in with. Because uh, of the way they look, was thrown in with grunge, but I mean, they're a little bit—they're not your typical grunge band. I mean, they had the look, but I mean, when you look at you know, they, they didn't sound. I thought like uh, Soundgarden or Alice in Chains or Nirvana, you know. And how could so how could they all be in the same genre of music? It's not. It was more of the of the lifestyle than it was the actual sound of the music. Because you just said right there, you have Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, three different bands, three complete sounds. So how is, you know, how does that fall into, look, I mean, it's, it's stupid. It's just a label, you know, like heavy metal people will call the Foo Fighters heavy metal. Right. <laughs> so it's a uh, Pearl Jam, Tom Waits. You ever see Pearl Jam? Uh, that was my first concert. That's kind of where the, the love affair started. Um, oh, sweet. Yeah. Never seen anything like that before. Eddie Vedder came out before the opening band and played a couple of songs on um, guitar just to, to hang out with like the people that showed up early at PNC. Um, and then it was uh, Slater Kinney was the opener. And um, then Pearl Jam came out. They brought Slater Kinney back out to do uh, Hunger Strike. And it, it, that's how talented Chris Cornell is, too, by the way, that uh, the female lead singer of Slater Kinney, who's a great singer, um, she couldn't hit the high notes that Chris Cornell was able to hit. So, <laughs> But I'd never seen anything like that. It was a three and a half hour concert by Pearl Jam. And I was like, this is what everybody's like. Right. And then like I think the next concert I went and saw was Yes who was a great band, but, you know, maybe like a 50 minute show at most. So, 
Well, if, if when did you see him? How long ago did you see? Yes. Let's say. Ten let's years? say two. Um, it was there. It was during this uh, the second term of George W. Bush's presidency. <laughs> okay. Because because they, they later on you know wound up divided into two versions of yes you know one with John Anderson one without John Anderson and yeah they, they would play like but you know the thing is they they have to play if they play like an hour and a half that's really three or four songs also true oh <laughs> <laughs> where Jeff is start talking like nerdily about fucking progressive rock from the seventies. I I'm, I I'm, I do like progressive rock. I, I like yes. And unfortunately, uh, last week, uh, you know, Music World uh, suffered a, a couple of losses. You know, one was Alan White, the drummer of Yes. And if you want to listen to some really great drumming with some off timing, just listen to a song like Heart of the Sunrise off of Fragile, which is just phenomenal. Um, yeah, no, it is. Don't shake it. It, it. It's a great one. And we also lost Andy Fletcher. Who was the um, one of the keyboardists for Depeche Mode? And I don't know if you guys saw it today. Uh, the original bass player for Bon Jovi uh, uh, was it John Alec John Such? Yeah, he, he just passed away. Well, I didn't um, realize seventy years old too. I knew he was a little, little older than the rest of the bandmates, but he, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, well, I remember. This is how old I am, man. I remember seeing him uh, when he first started out in like, uh, you know, before he got Bon Jovi, he was in a cover band called Phantoms Opera. And, uh, you know, they used to, they used to play a lot of uh, progressive rock. And he, he was a really uh, great uh, bass player at the time. He was, he was a more advanced than the other guys. I think Tico was the only one in Bon Jovi who may have been as accomplished. And then Richie and John, and it's kind of like kind of grew and just surpassed them. And eventually he couldn't keep up with them. Uh, Ronnie Hawkins died too. Ronnie Hawkins. Yeah. Ronnie Hawkins. Um, so the the, uh, the other three bands that are three artists I, mean, I would say I'm huge uh, very 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 big on is Pearl Jam, Tom Waits has really come up there big time and then uh, the band uh, Levon Helm and the Boys that was uh, oh, that's, sure. that's one of my favorite things ever. Um, but Ronnie Hawkins was the guy that first assembled um, what went on to become the band and they were his backing band on the road. He does um, when you watch the Last Waltz he comes out and does Who Do You Love. He's uh, the, the Canadian he? guy with the cowboy hat on. So yeah, yeah. How, he's how old? not sure. He just passed away though. Robbie Robertson wrote a very beautiful um, uh, eulogy for him though. It was pretty cool. That that's a that's a uh, good singer and writer, Robbie Robinson. Uh, he's great. He's um, he's cool. That to me it was um, it was so crazy though because the last waltz is like perfect. I mean, I could watch that. That that's. My, obviously it's a, a hack tradition to do it. You know what I mean? It's pretty on the nose, but you got to blast that on Thanksgiving Eve, you know, and sit there with a, I don't know, maybe a couple of cocktails and figure out where it takes you. But um, it's uh, it's one of the greatest things I've ever seen, but Levon Helm is just like, I, w- I instantly was fascinated by that guy. And my biggest regret is that he came to Jacksonville six months before he died. And I forget what it was. I got into an argument with my girlfriend at the time that night and uh I was like, fine, we don't have to go. So I had tickets and I said, we don't even have to go. That's fine if you're tired. And uh, so I didn't go see him and he died six months later. Oh, and and what about the girl? Oh, you mean the one I escaped from Jacksonville? (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty ridiculous story. I I told the story on another podcast, but I I wound up winning the whole battle I had to go through with her with the house. I'm not mad at her anymore. I think she's married with kids and stuff. I hope she's happy. Um, it, It must... I will say this. I'm not trying to be petty because I, I think she's probably doing exactly what she wants to do. But there is a nice feeling when you know you do put out um, your first ever comedy special. You're on the road with comics that you've admired for years. You know, you're you're writing good stuff that people are liking. And uh, I don't know it's kind of fun that if uh, if she ever you know has that moment, uh, which my I, I live with um, uh, two females and they uh, they they're very honest with me, too, about stuff. They're like, yeah, of course, they check in on X's every now and then on social media. And uh, she's got to scroll through a lot of show flyers and a lot of pictures of me on stage and, you know, clips of me doing, you know, comedy and stuff, all the things I told her I was going to do. So she's got to accept that. Uh, yeah, I did exactly what I said I was going to do. She should have had faith and hung out with Mr. Burke um, before before we wrap it up. The the cover, the art of uh, Escape from Jacksonville, 
a little bit of homage to um, Escape from New York. Yes, sir. Uh, done by the, I think everybody here knows him, uh, the the fabulous and talented and you know ridiculous human being that is Craig Mahoney. One of my people I've ever met through comedy, and I've only met him like maybe five or six times. He's just a part <laughs> my whole way. I, I never met him. Oh, he's brilliant. He's a brilliant guy, but like you, one of those kind of like tortured soul people. You know what I mean? Like has a lot of bad luck, but he's a brilliantly, brilliantly gifted artist. He can do just about, I have like five or six different things. Cause it used to be the traditional was just to commission a piece of art from him to give out his Christmas gifts to people. I had him, he drew uh hand drew um, picture of my grandfather in his uniform from world war II. Uh, that I gave to my aunt and my mother, and they were both crying, weeping, because he just captured him so perfectly. Um, uh, he did a couple of Derek Jeter things that I gave to my sister because she's a huge Yankees fan. Um, and then uh, I had him do the the cover thing for his. I told him, I was like, listen, it's going to be a painting. So he, he did a full on painting of it. Um, and then I told him, I was like, by the way, this is going to be the cover art for the thing. So he's really happy right now, too, because I got um, <laughs> I got a retweet from Kevin Smith the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, of him tweeting out that just that we filmed it at the Smodcast or whatever. And he tweeted out the art and Craig just lost his fucking mind. He's like, all right. So Kevin Smith just retweeted my art. That's pretty cool. That's very cool. How, how many shows did you wind up doing for the album? So we did two. And it's so funny. Cause uh, I remember doing the first one. I, I worked that day. I worked, you know, so like 5.00 AM I was awake. Uh, I think I slept for like 40 minutes. I took a nap, like maybe an hour before the yeah, first why show. Did you, why did you do that? Uh, I don't know. I'm a, uh, I'm a glutton for punishment. I don't like letting people down. I just started the new job. I really liked it. So I was like, let me always just, you know, I, I, part of it too. I think I'm building up good karma for something. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> um, so I wound up working that day, only a couple hours. It was like maybe a five hour day. Um, passed but out some real people, quick. That's a whole fucking day, dude. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then you're, 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 you know, Maybe at, at this time, your biggest night in comedy. And you oh, for think, sure. You would think like you would just want to like rest and, and be laser focused. And you're going out and you're, you're working a day and just like, do it. It, you know, in a way that's kind of good because your mind isn't on it. Uh, but I mean, I, I don't know any other comic that would have done that. It was, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what, I was hurting by the end of it, but it was so funny because I got there and I was so, uh, I mean, we've all done shows together too. I like to have a drink or so before I go up on a, like a longer set, you know? And um, I, I remember not having enough time to even have a drink. So I think I, the, the only beer I had for the whole first show was the one I walked out on stage with. And I don't think I even finished that while I was up there. Um, I had no time to think. And I also remember sitting there saying, I went out of order on a couple of things and I, I did some stuff that I normally don't do. I was just trying to make sure I could do the time. And I was like, cause I, I was banking on it. I said, the seven o'clock is going to be good. The nine o'clock is where all my like buddies are coming, like the bar buddies, guys I've grown up with. They're going to just be nonstop laughing. It's going to be great. I sold out both shows, which was great. It was, and it's not a big place either, but just knowing that I had two full crowds, it wasn't going to be like, uh, you know, the first show sold out and then you got 20 people for the second one, um, which could be depressing. But we did. Uh, I got through the, the first one. The crowd was so hot and just excited. And then the second one, uh, they came out and they were cool. But the problem was all my friends are degenerates. They were all drinking in the parking lot waiting to come in. So half of them are already (laughs) drunk. And then it's late. It's like uh, 10 o'clock at night. And uh, I walked off stage and the way I felt, I think you guys can, you'll appreciate this too. um, You feel like the show was better as a comic because they weren't giving it up too easy for you. So to me, the better comedy show is the second one. And then like my mom was even saying, I, I was like, yeah, I think the second one might be good. And my mother's just like, no. No, you're a moron. The seven o'clock was the one. And then sure enough, we watched the tape back and I was like, I, I think the entire cut of the album is actually the seven o'clock show. That's great. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> but then you up on stage, you just that, that just shows how ridiculous we are. We just you can't like, you know, when you feel like you're, if you're connecting with a crowd, if they're making you work for it and then you're you're earning it, you feel better. But um, the way that it played for the seven o'clock was just uh, it was like getting a hand job up there. I mean, it was pretty great. It's- so again, before we uh, before we call this a, a night, and uh, uh, we thank you so much for coming on. Just I love let, you, uh, jerks. And just let uh, people know again how they can get the uh, uh, the, the uh, CD and um, how they can follow you on uh, for American Loser. Well, thank you, man. It's good to good to hang with you, boys too. 
to be clear, Sean invited me on like maybe a year ago and I didn't have this nice fancy microphone or any of my other setup stuff yet too. So I wanted to do it right. And uh, so I appreciate that. And then um, I do love you jerks. It's good to talk to you. And if uh, people want to check the album out, it's called escape from Jacksonville. The best way to help me out with that one is if you watch it on YouTube, just leave a comment. Uh, you can say who's your band in the comments. So I know that it came from your guys as people. And then um, the clips are all up there. It's uh, uh, at KP Burke sucks over on Instagram. I deleted my Twitter again already. Cause I just hate that website. Um, KP Burke over on Facebook and uh American Loser podcast comes out uh, every Tuesday. So that's actually what I have to go do after this is because I'm, I'm miserable. I can't have a fun conversation with my friends. I have such low self-esteem. I have to write a term paper every week about a weird topic from history to go talk about with my dad. But that's the, the jam for right now, man. It's Escape from Jacksonville. It's going uh, very well. And I appreciate you guys. And thank you for watching it too, by the way, man. I, that's uh, That was very nice of you when you messaged me. Uh, no, my pleasure, man. It was, it was like I said, I, I enjoy it. And when you, when you do see like your friends, but especially you, I remember when you first came to New York to see you, you know, grow as a comedian, as a person and to put this out. I know the type of, of you know, uh, of labor it takes to, you know, to hit that. People think it's so easy and it's not. Uh, but and to see and to t- see how good it turned out, you know, trust me, I felt I was very proud, very happy for you. So um <laughs> Yeah, so we're out. And guys, thank you so much for listening. We will catch you next week with a whole new uh, episode of Ujibane. Continue to follow us, continue to subscribe, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Thanks. Thank you, KP. Love you guys, man. I'll talk to you soon. Take care, guys.